Anne Donovan reading Not Scotland, her new piece of work on the theme of elsewhere, commissioned by Edinburgh International Book Festival. Not Scotland by Anne Donovan The heat whops ye the minute ye set fit out the plain. The brightness too, blue sky barely skiffed with cloud. This is a life, says John. Can I believe this is September? I pull off my jacket. It's like the middly summer. I thought it'd be like autumn at home. Bright, but with a nip in the air. Hadn't he expected this? The airport was buzzing, everybody checking screens and dodging about, jabbering away. Hadn't he a scooby what they were saying? We always went to Spain for our holidays, and I could make out the sound of their lingo, but Italian was double Dutch to me. Bobby takes charge. Come on, guys. Sergio's meeting us in the car park. Hope we'll recognise each other. It's years since I've seen him. Let's hope he hasn't had a facelift then. Sergio was sitting in a big black Merc, parked on a double yellow line. He was listening to the radio, one arm resting on the rolled down windy. He'd on an immaculate white shirt and a fancy watch. Looking at him, I felt even more sweaty and scruffy after the journey. When he spotted us, he jumped out the car. He was a wee guy, packed with muscle, deep tan, perfect hair. Sergio, says Bobby. Roberto. Sergio pits his arms round Bobby and plants a big kiss on each cheek. John looks at me and then at Bobby. Roberto? It's my name, says Bobby. Sergio turns to us. John kind of leaned back in case Sergio started kissing him too, but he stuck out his hand and shook John's, patting him on the back. Then he started pumping my horn up and down, thought my wrist was going to break. Bobby pointed at us. John, Jimmy. The way Sergio pronounced our names, the J sounded like a cross between an S and a Z. What's the Italian for Jimmy? I says. Giacomo. Okay, I'll be Giacomo then, I says. If you can have an Italian name, I can have one too. But it is my name, says Bobby. It's on my birth certificate. It's just because Bobby was easier when I went to school. Joan says, so who am I then? Giovanni. Sergio grins. Giovanni, Giacomo, welcome to Italy. Afore this job come up, I'd never really thought about Bobby being Italian. His ma was a baby when his grandparents had come out of Scotland in the 1930s. They retired and went back years ago, but his dad's from Glasgow, so he's always been Bobby McCulloch. I never thought he looked Italian, but now we were here I could see that a lot of the locals had the same strong, stocky build and squarish face. Bobby's Italian wasn't great, but he managed to get by with Sergio as we made the journey in the car. I was dead beat after the early start and just sat, slumped on the leather seat in a dwam, watching the scenery flee by. Woods in autumn colours, small holdings, wee villages with orange and pink and yellow buildings. When we got to the city, the traffic was mental. Folk zooming and beeping, Bikes and scooters everywhere, duking in and out the traffic. Sergio double-parked on a main road outside a building with scaffolding all round. 
He unlocked the door, and there we were in a close, just like a Glasgow close, marble stairs and a couple of doors on each landing. He was blethering away to us, even though me and John couldn't understand a word he was saying. But everything had already been arranged afore we came, with the help of Bobby's ma. The building was getting done up, inside and out. All the apartments, except one, were finished. We knew kitchens and bathrooms and all that, and we'd be decorating them. We'd stay in the apartment that hadn't been refurbished yet. There was a big living room with an open-plan kitchen at one end, a bathroom and a bedroom with three single beds. That's for Daddy Bear, that's for Mammy Bear, and here's one for little Baby Bear, I says, shoving Bobby down onto one of the beds. Let us know when Goldilocks gets here, he said. There was a layer of plaster dust all hour, but the flat had everything we needed, and when Sergio opened a cupboard in the hall, it was full of sheets and towels and about fifty flowery quilts. They'll come in handy, says John. Aye, I says. I was worried we'd be called at night. Being for Scotland, we're no used to it. Wouldn't he want to have to snuggle up together to keep warm? Sergio hondied Bobby the keys to the apartment and explained the complicated mechanism of the lock. He left us to get settled, said he'd come back and take us out for something to eat later. When the idea came up for this trip, John was all for it. Made it sound as if it was a holiday camp with the odd bit of painting thrown in on the side. The Italians are dead laid back. Long lunch breaks, siesta time, nipping in and out of cafes for a wee cuppa. Scoosh case. I knew he was exaggerating, but I'd no idea how much. Now we're grafters, me and John, always have been, and Bobby's a good worker too. Running your own business, you just do what has to be done. But here we were, on the job at seven, non-stop till five. Only difference is we sit outside to eat our pieces with the guys working on the scaffolding. And they don't hang about dinner time, just eat their chits and get on. As for tea breaks, forget it. You can go into the bar doing stair any time, but it's two minutes in and out. These guys can knock back a coffee in the time it takes us to boil a kettle. At home I'm Mary a tea drinker, but one week into the job and I'm a convert. Don't to the bar for a cappuccino and a bun before we start, then another mid-morning, this time with a sandwich. In the afternoon it's a wee espresso, a blast of caffeine to the brain that keeps you awake till work ends. Apart from that, it's water, 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 because the weather's still like summer. And every night we are nacaroso. Eh, what happened to all these siestas, Roberto? says Joan. I thought everybody had a snooze in the afternoon. Aye, right, says Bobby. In the south, where it's dead hot in the summer, but not everywhere. The shops close for a few hours, but they open again till late. And the workies keep on working, just like him. Might have known, says John. These guys are the good spot. Bloody perfectionists. The boss had come round at the end of the week to see what we'd done. And he didn't get a quick once over. He examined everything, even pointed out a wee corner where somebody'd left a brush stroke showing. John was a bit narked at that. We five prided ourselves on good workmanship, 
And when you've been your own boss for a while, it's hard to have somebody else checking your work. But then Sergio turned round and said, Benny, and handed each of us a rolled up wad of dosh. Jeez, oh, said John, when we were sitting in the bar on the Friday night. They're flaming fussy, ain't they? At home, if you're daying up a flat to rent out, it's an Elsie on each wall, and don't be too pernickety round the windy, cause the curtains'll cover it. We've never been like that. No, but we've done enough jobs for guys who can barely let the paint dry, cause they want to get the house off their hands. Too many of these bloody property shows on the TV. Aye, well, says Bobby, that's one good thing about the recession. My missus was I watching on Lauren Sky, getting fancy ideas. Could you no know stencil wee hearts round the bedroom ceiling, Bobby? A party's horn. Ah, oh, nice to see romance, isn't he? Did yet. Bobby sups his beer. I'd miss wee Kirsty, but she can relocate me any day. They're fussy about everything, but not just decorating. The bars and shops are clean and tidy. Everyone's that organised compared to him. Know how you expect. We think they're all drama and chaos. But really, it's not like that. Mornings here are perfect. A wee nip in the air and beautiful light. The Italians turn up in jumpers and scarves. John's slagging them off using sign language. Bit chilly the day, ain't it, Marco? He says, miming, putting on a big coat and scarf. Marco pulls his arms round his cell as if agreeing. La Scotia è molto freddo, says John. He's picking up a few phrases now, but they sound funny in a broad Glasgow accent. Marco nods, smiles, and gets his gear for where it's stored in the corner of the room. One morn, I woke early. First light. I pulled on my kegs, tiptoed past the others, and heeded out. Round the apartment it's all busy streets and traffic, but you only have to walk for ten minutes to get a dead quiet bit, with trees and greenery. Magic. Light and shade on the wee path, specks of brown leaves under the trees and way in the distance the sound of the city waking up. Traffic rumbling away, Scrake of metal shutters hauled up for a bar or a shop, a voice shouting a greeting. For the first time since we'd arrived, I was at home here. Most of the time I felt like a tourist, even though we were working. But here, in the soft light, I felt fine. I sat on a bench and thought about home. What would Liz and Francis and Anne-Marie be doing the new? Only another couple of weeks, and I'd see them. On the Saturday, we headed for the beach, about half an hour away on the train. The seaside town was lovely and clean and tidy. Beautiful wee cafes and bars all round the front. Everybody just walking up and down enjoying themselves. I'd never been on an Italian beach before, and if it hadn't been for Bobby, who knew the drill for his young days, we wouldn't have knew what to do. The beaches here are nearly all private, divided into sections, each colour-coded. All you can see for miles is stripy loungers and umbrellas. In the summer this would be covered in folk. It's actually quite quiet the new, says Bobby. 
He picked one of the places and spoke to the woman. Quanto per la spiaggia? He ondied her the dots and she showed us a changing room and the toilet. Gave us sun loungers and an umbrella. We got ourselves settled and I headed down to the sea. Though the beach was carefully organised, neat furniture, smart towels, everything orderly, the sea was wild. Huge big waves shooming in, some near as big as me. In they raced, careering onto the flat sand, were tamed like the beach, then returned to the wildness. It's that different for Scotland. When I was young and worked up north one year in the forestry, I spent all my spare time on the local beach, a big empty stretch of near white sand. Wild all through it was, hammering again the rocks, ruthless and dark and threatening. This sea's deceptive. All the smiling, laughing Italian families, kids playing a ball game on the edge of the shore, couples strolling arm in arm, cloudless sky and lovely mountains rising above the pink and white and yellow tune. But the waves, looming, powerful like horsemen out the water, as if they could snatch you off the beach and drag you away to the fierceness of the sea, never to be seen again. Nobody's swimming, only a few folk paddle in the ripples. I'm stone at the edge, freezing water crackles round my toes, though the sun's warm on my back. I close my eyes and breathe it in, breathe in the freshness and aliveness of it after a week's work in a stuffy room. Breathe away the paint fumes, the nights falling into a stupor of tiredness, only to wake in the middle of the night, nose dry for the closed windies. And I breathe in something untamed and fresh and clean. Hints of the Scottish sea so far away, but no Scottish beach ever has such heat, no even in the middle of summer. I breathe in and out and in again, open my eyes and walk into an enormous wave rearing over me. And it hits me and blatters round me, cold and shivering droplets. I stand right in the middle of the thundering, crashing waves as they come and go, one minute staring out at the sea and the next enveloped in a huge, pulsing shock of water. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.